Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and and, uh, so we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we especially focused on the Holy Spirit's work in convicting the unbelieving world concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, That is, we recognized how it is that the Holy Spirit works through God's written word to convince individuals that they're all sinners, and and that only Jesus is righteous, and and that they will all one day be judged by him unless they repent and believe in him as their personal Lord and Savior. And so I want to ask you now today, as we think beyond that here, uh, how about us who have become believers, become followers of Jesus? Do we even need the Holy Spirit? Or can we now live pretty much well on our own? I think you know the answer to that. Uh, but it, 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 is the Holy Spirit needed in the life of the Christian? If so, how? Uh, I was thinking of different scriptures we could look at, and there are scattered verses here and there that mention various aspects of the Holy Spirit's work. And, and then I came across uh, Romans chapter 8, and I was reminded there that the Spirit is mentioned in that chapter 17 times in connection with the Christian life. And so there we see all kinds of reasons that Christians still need the Holy Spirit in their lives. I invite you to look with me at Romans 8, um, and it's a rather long chapter, and we won't read through um, every part that covers the work of the Spirit, but I'm going to read beginning with verse 1 there, and um, then we'll glean several aspects of the Holy Spirit's work here as we walk through parts of this chapter. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's Word as I read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Whoever you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you for this, your word to us, and how the Holy Spirit works through the word in each of our lives. And we ask that you would help us, uh, Holy Spirit, now to understand your work in each of our hearts and lives on on an ongoing daily basis. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we see here the Christian needs the Holy Spirit to work first of all to to assure us that we're no longer condemned. 
You see, before, we needed the Holy Spirit to show us our own personal sins and, and, and that we are in this position of standing condemned before God and deserving his judgment. And, and now, our, our conscience that the Holy Spirit has awakened then continues to convict us of sin in our lives. However, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we do not need to fear the condemnation of Almighty God any longer. Because according to Scripture in Jesus, we now stand justified before God. I think of Romans 5.1 where it tells us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here we have somewhat similar wording in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so even if you sinned last night in some terrible way, still, if you're believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're confessing your sins and trusting in him for forgiveness, then according to these verses, you stand justified before God today. How is that possible? Well, as you look at verse 2 here, it says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Well, what could the law not do? Well, the law could never be used to justify us before God. Why is that? Well, it's because our flesh is weak and we are unable to keep the law. And so the law will always condemn us. It will never justify us. Verse 3 says, For the what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How did God do it? By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That, that's the description then, really, of the incarnation. God becoming flesh. The baby Jesus in the manger, that part of God's amazing salvation plan. And in sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, it says, as an offering for sin. Our sinful flesh deserves condemnation and punishment of death, but Jesus in the likeness of our sinful flesh then received that punishment of death in his own body. And thus, his human flesh received the condemnation that ours deserve. And the requirement then of the law was fulfilled in him, the perfect one. And, but not only was it fulfilled in Christ on the cross, but it says here that it also can be now fulfilled in us. And that is kind of fascinating to think of. How is that possible? We helpless, weak, flesh-bound creatures have now been given also a new nature that, that wants to do good. And, and we've been given the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do good. And verse 4 then says this, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This time of year, I try to, most mornings, I go for an early morning walk. And I kind of have this uh, general route. I'm a guy of routines. And so every morning I take this walk the same way. Um, but the other morning I changed my walk. I, I went a different route. And I saw some things I wouldn't have noticed before. Well, the Holy Spirit empowers us in a new walk, spiritually speaking. We won't perfectly follow it, but we now have a new mindset as, as we go about our daily life. And the Christian needs the Holy Spirit then to give us that new mindset, to give us a daily reminder of what we're here on this earth for. And he does that through the Word of God. You see, we, we kind of have spiritual amnesia, or eternity amnesia, you might say. We, we easily forget that this world is not all that there is, and we need the Holy Spirit then to remind us that what we're living for um, is not to satisfy our flesh, 
Verse 5 talks about that here. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit on the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The, the Holy Spirit helps a Christian to have this new mindset, uh, this eternal perspective, and, and to then know peace in our hearts as we live in the here and now. And, and he does this not only by speaking to us from the outside, but the Bible says he takes up residence in our hearts. He, he comes to dwell in us. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. All Christians then have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, and that makes all the difference. You know, as humans, we, we sometimes tend to look at the numbers uh, to decide things. Uh, we, we take opinion polls to find out what most other people think. We, we aim for the majority in things. We live in a democratic society and, uh, where the majority rules. Well, if we were to go by the numbers um, in the Christian life, we, in one way of looking at it here, we might be, get rather discouraged because the numbers appear to be against us. Uh, we have three enemies that are against us, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. And the three are in cahoots. And it would appear that we have no chance of resisting their schemes and their temptations because, remember, our own flesh is weak. And so we appear then to be outnumbered, one to three, right? But, what, but there's a saying that goes like this, you know, God and I make a majority. And that's true. With the Holy Spirit living within us, we have this strong ally, and, and, and there is no one more powerful than him. And, and the numbers don't matter then when we have him on our side. And so, so far we've seen here, we, have, uh, we as Christians need the Holy Spirit to assure us that we're no longer condemned, to give us this new mindset in life, and to come dwell within us and empower us to live the Christian life. Also, as you look on in, in verse 10 and 11 here, it's kind of interesting, um, because we also need the Holy Spirit for something off in the future, because one day, he is going to raise our bodies from the grave. You know, some of us are finding that, that uh, the body we currently have is more and more uh, wearing out in different aspects of it, and, and one day, that body is going to die, and it's going to go to the grave. And it's only a matter of time till we all end up there. Sorry to tell you that and remind you of that. It's a rather bleak picture. But it's interesting to me then that, that even then, the, the Spirit of God won't be done with us. And, and what you see here, look at the next verse, uh, verse 10 there, and it says, or verse 11, if, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Think about that. The same power that burst Jesus' dead body from the tomb over 2,000 years ago will one day give our dead bodies new life um, in resurrected, healthy bodies that are free from all aches and pains. And that is what we will ultimately, that's when we will ultimately be free then from sin and its consequences at last. But while we wait for that, we need the Holy Spirit then to, to set us free to live in this life, changed here and now. Uh, oh yes, we're still going to fail, but we no longer have to serve the flesh. Verse 12 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to, to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
Go back to verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. In that verse it describes two different laws. And I think maybe this can best be understood by explaining about two other laws I think of. Um, you all know about the law of gravity. Newton discovered it uh, when, when he was sitting under that tree and, and an apple fell on his head, right? And, well, everything on the earth is governed by this law of gravity and anything in midair is pulled to the ground. But there's another law, as I understand it. It's called the law of aerodynamics. And, and though I don't fully understand it, yet I have used it. And, and I've ridden an airplane that flies above the ground and it didn't crash. And, and it's amazing to me to think about. Huge plane. 200 and some passengers or more, um, and all their luggage, and, and yet it can fly through the air. Though I don't understand how it works, I trust it to take us even thousands of miles, even across the ocean. Now, why doesn't the law of gravity pull that airplane down? You might say it's because there's a new higher law that's taken over. So it is with life in the spirit. We, we live with a new power at our disposal. And, and if we live with our mind set on the spirit, then we fly, so to speak. We, we are not controlled by the flesh and sin, but we're controlled by a new higher law. But now think about what happens if while I'm up in that plane, I decide to step out of it. The law of gravity will take over, won't it? And in a very short time, things will get rather messy. When we step out of life in the spirit, so to speak, or, or, or ignore that life in the spirit, then the flesh takes over and we fall into sin. And God has given us his Holy Spirit that we might not live according to obligation of the flesh, but live in this newness of life. And that happens as we learn then a constant dependence on the Holy Spirit. And, and it's sometimes a slow lesson for us to learn, but the Spirit of God is amazingly patient and keeps working on us all of our earthly life. We Christians also need the Holy Spirit then to lead us. We see that here in verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so then it's, it's, it's daily a matter of admitting, you know, I don't have my life all figured out, but God does. And, and so life in the Spirit involves in asking him to lead me each day of my life. Well, how will he do that? Well, primarily through the written word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired this word, and he also then speaks to us through it. Lenski says it's this way about it. Only by means of the written word do we know that the voice inwardly prompting us is indeed the Spirit's own, and not some hallucination that's afflicting our mind. Many a person has allowed other voices, or you might say hallucinations, to lead them where they never should have gone. The Holy Spirit will never lead someone to do contrary to what the written word of God says. And we Christians need the Holy Spirit then to lead us and to give us discernment. As we live in an ungodly culture, we need him to guide us in decisions in our lives. We also need him to, you might say, to secure our adoption into the family of God. Verse 15 for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And, as, and if children, then heirs also and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You, you see, the relationship we had with God before we were saved 
what was one of fear, like a slave, that, that feared for his life if he did wrong. But the relationship we now have with God is very different from that. Though, though we are, um, we, we were, you might say, unruly vagabonds, we, we have now been adopted into, into God's family. And we live then as, with full rights of sons. No longer do we have to live in fear of God, but the Holy Spirit reminds us you're now a child of God. And you can call him your father. You know, think about when Jesus was on this earth and when he prayed, that, that's how he addressed him, father. And he invites us to do the same. Sometimes we still act like those unruly vagabonds. And as a result, maybe we wonder, well, I'm not really a child of God. Watchman Nee uh, told about how there was a, convert, a new convert who came to him and he was rather distressed um, because he was saying, well, it seems like no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply can't seem to be faithful to the Lord. I, I wonder if I'm losing my salvation. And, and Nee said this to him. He said, you see that dog over there? That's my dog. He's, he's house trained. He, uh, he never makes a mess. He's obedient. He, he is a pure delight to me. But out in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son, and he makes a mess. He throws his food all over. He, he fouls his clothes. He, he's a total mess. But who's going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog. My son is my heir. Verse 17 here tells us that, in, that we are children of God, and, and that makes us fellow heirs with Christ. What does Christ inherit? All of the glories of heaven and we are fellow heirs with him as God's children. In order to help us grasp the awesomeness of what we will inherit someday, God has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, to serve as, uh, according to one verse, as a, as a pledge of our eternal inheritance. It's in Ephesians it talks about the Holy Spirit given as a, as a pledge of our inheritance. Another translation says, as a down payment. A start of something promising more to come. I think of it this way. Um, maybe you've had this happen where you <clears throat> come home and somebody's cooking a meal and, and supper smells great. And you are hungry and it's still another hour till supper time. Sometimes if you're nice to the cook, she'll give you a taste. In a way, the Holy Spirit living within us is like a taste of heaven with more to come. Verse 23 talks about having the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan along with all creation for that time when we will be set free from corruption, we will receive the rest of the package. The, the redemption of our physical bodies from sinful flesh that they now deal with, and, and we will have new resurrected bodies. And, and that time is coming when, when we can eagerly anticipate that. Then the wording here in verse 19 for the anxious longing of creation is, is a picture of a person with their head raised and their eye fixed upward at the horizon, just waiting for the first sign of what they're looking for. Well, when that time comes, you know what will happen uh, to our perspective on all our earthly trials and difficulties we've been going through? Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. It's like if, if we were to take a, a balance scale and on the one side we place all of that suffering that we've endured on all of our earthly lifetime. And, and it might feel immense to us now and some people 
suffer physically and emotionally in this life far more than some of us can even imagine. But still, if, if you were in a place um, and, and you had a balance scale, and on the one side you, you place that, and then on the other side you place all of the glory in, in, of eternity in heaven, it, it would be like that would just weigh it all, and, and this would seem like nothing in comparison. So brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the perspective of the Holy Spirit of God wants us to have. Uh, impress on us today. Um, whatever suffering we are encountering now, all of its awfulness will be wiped away by just a glimpse of the glory that God has waiting for us someday in heaven, where we will be with him forever, free from all suffering at last. Just a couple other things I want to mention from Romans 8 here as, as far as the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the Christian. And, you know, whole sermons could be written about each of these, um, and I'm just barely touching on today. But what we Christians need the Holy Spirit to give us confidence in prayer. You know, virtually all religions in the world have prayer or something similar, meditation or something, you know. But only in Christianity is real prayer found. Because, you see, prayer in other religions involves calling out to God and hoping he hears and maybe, maybe he cares. But they have no certainty that he hears or cares or is going to answer them. But in the Christian faith, we have the Holy Spirit who works through the word to call us to prayer. Think about it. All kinds of verses in the Bible are an invitation from the Holy Spirit of God to pray and assurances that he hears us and that he'll answer us. That's the Holy Spirit working through the word. The indwelling Holy Spirit then is our teacher in prayer. We don't really know how to pray as we ought. Uh, we, we lack confidence sometimes to go, come to God. We, we shrink back with embarrassment sometimes. And sometimes maybe somebody asks you to pray in front of other people and you know, I don't know what to say. But the Holy Spirit of God is our teacher in prayer. And, and he gives us confidence in our weakness to still call out to him and pray and know that he will hear and answer. And he it tells us here he even intercedes for us when we're unable to put the cry of our heart into words. One other thing. We need the Holy Spirit to assure us of God's good purposes. Verse 28. It's one of my favorite short verses in all of the Bible. Um, but though it's short, it is loaded with something we can take as a promise from the Holy Spirit of God as we go through the trials of this life. And there he says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now every one of us at times will go through things that are tough, things that don't, make any sense to us as we try to sort it out on our own and, and we wonder well why has God allowed this and what a great promise this is then to rest in that, that somehow God can even use this for good in our lives in the lives of those around us where would we be without promises like this how could we as Christians go through life without the Holy Spirit what, what a gift he is not only to convict the world and, and bring them to Christ, but then also in the daily life of the Christian. To assure us that we're no longer condemned. Give us a new mindset. Come to dwell within us. Uh, one day raise our bodies from the grave. Set us free to live a changed life here and now. Lead us in our daily life. S secure us in, in a, knowing we're adopted into the family of God. And... and serve really as a pledge, as a, as a glimpse then of, of the eternal inheritance that's waiting for us, and give us confidence in prayer, and assure us of God's good purposes in our lives. Let us pray. 
Lord God, I, I thank you that you love us so much that you were willing to send your only son that we could know forgiveness of our sin. And thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit brings that home to us by speaking to us through the word to show us our sin and our need for Jesus. But then also, Lord, continuing to speak to us through the word to, to draw us into a life, a relationship with you, a changed life, a, a life that, that has a new mindset and, and looks ahead to uh, what, what you have for us someday in glory. And, and Lord, we pray that you would be at work in each of our hearts and lives and that you would empower us to live different and to reflect your love to the world around us and, and to draw people even through our own lives to you. And, and Lord, if there are those that are going through some real trials in life, we pray that the, the verses of, of comfort and promise here would, would uh, speak to their hearts and encourage them with your presence in their life, whatever they're going through. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.